0: Welcome, this is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Welcome to the Bleachers,
1: another episode. It has been a while since we have talked. So many things have happened and so much fun has been had. I am finally, finally back from New York. I cannot tell you how happy I am to be back from New York after spending a week in New York, that's a whole that's a whole story in itself. I'll catch up with Tuttle on that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, what's on tap? Is it brought to you by St. Arnold, my good friends. With that, I have the jersey behind me. If you're watching on our YouTube channel for Bleacher Blums, you can check that out. Uh, uh, we've got the story about New York and how good the Astros are. We've got Freddie Freeman controversy. We've got, uh, it's a big day in baseball contracts today. We will get to that. Um, uh, UCLA and USC are talking about, I think they are moving to the Big Ten. We might as well just go ahead and throw that out there, which is amazing to me. And uh, what else you got, Tuttle? You got anything else? I know you sent a pretty good list because we've had some time (laughs) to think about it.
2: Um, Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about the Freddie Freeman issue, I think, which is kind of interesting. I'd love to get your insight on things like that. And then I had a little, I don't even know if it's a waddle tuttle, but uh, I um, had somebody reference the How Champions, that book that I sent over, um, How Champions Think, and they talked about Greg Maddox being this cerebral guy who never threw 90 miles an hour and I needed to talk about that a little bit because I know okay. his first Cy Young was Chicago. They were clocking him at like ninety-five. So I think people misrepresent him and I wanna, you know, speak to uh that a little bit. So and then um yeah, Freddie Freeman, Greg Maddox, uh I thought the Mark Apple story was good. I know he's a cardinal, but uh, you know, whatever. I just appreciate can... you calling him an apple. Yeah, there you go. An <laughs> apple and a cardinal at the same time. Uh but maybe we could <laughs> fill off we the can tree. Comp- that's right. Ooh, fell off the tree at the farm. At the farm. That's even better. <laughs> at the farm. Um, Son of yeah, a- yeah. But uh, but yeah, I thought like you know, obviously uh, Mark Apple and uh, JJ making their debuts in the big leagues, and I don't know, just that just always fosters some thought. So uh, we got plenty of stuff on tap, I guess that as the St. Arnold jersey would imply. So
1: <laughs> good times. How you been, Tuttle? I know that last time we talked, I don't know, did we divulge what was going on with you? Did we actually talk about it?
2: Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. It's I don't keep that stuff secret. <clears throat> All right. Are you feeling better? Yes, I do. I feel much better. Um, I guess coming on here and bragging about the fact that I never had COVID and I don't know how this thing, you know, made its way around the country and avoided me. And then when you get it, you're like, Oh, yeah, okay. You know, not impervious. I'm not special. Uh, but I actually I, the the one thing that um I probably I was down for like three days. I felt lethargy, you know, headaches, stuff like that. But uh Physically, I've been like going to the gym every day and doing all this stuff and I feel good, but every once in a while i have like a little, <coughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, yep. so it, it may still be with me, but, uh, Ooh, just like there's a star Wars line for you. The force is still <laughs> with me, but, uh, but I'm feeling fine. Yeah. And, and let's talk about you a little bit, uh, jet lag or not. Um, and maybe you had a very jam packed agenda, but your trip to New York, you, you're obviously glad to be back home, but from a baseball perspective, Perspective. It was certainly a, a valuable trip. It was a great trip.
1: No, it was an unbelievable trip. That's what's crazy is how good the Astros actually played going through New York. I think there was a lot of concern. Um, you know, when you see nine games against the Mets and Yankees, and you talk about playing two at, two at home against the Mets, one at home against the Yankees. And then you go on the road for four against the Yankees, two against them. I mean, all of a sudden your mind is reeling. And then you look at the records and realize how good the Yankees are. They're beating the hell out of everybody. And then you realize how good the Mets are being number one in the National League East ahead of the reigning World Series champions, the Atlanta Braves. And you start saying, okay, this is going to be the test. This is you know a little bit of postseason in the middle of the season. And dude, they went seven and two, and there were two games. And I don't care if you how you feel about woulda, shoulda, coulda, ifs, ands, or buts. But no, dude, they, they could have won. Uh, they could have won a, a series, or, or yeah. they could have swept All that of, series in New York.
2: That's what's could have, crazy. They could have gone nine and zero for sure. I, I believe. Yeah. Like you got to chalk one up, like Presley, who's been on fire. He had a bad inning um and you know what so give them eight and one at least but they could have been eight and one or nine and oh i thought the game where judge won it um the last game in new york i mean that was that was a weird series but i happened to be watching that game and um is it martinez that came in he was pitching really well and oh my it's just too many he sliders up a run all right? it doesn't, year until then yeah anyway so it was just one of those things where like you said i i actually agree with you i'm gonna uh, pander to the astros fans because i don't usually do that but i mean the astros looked certainly um the equivalent at that time and if i were you know i guess i was more thinking of from the travel perspective without jumping right into kind of who's hot but the uh travel perspective you got to kind of stay in one area in new york it's very similar to coming to the bay area i assume if you play the a's and then you play the giants you can kind of stay central so for you having your family out there and being um busy all the time i don't know if that's you know a challenge or if that just makes it easier for you. Did your family float around you or did they participate at all? It was like you kind of jumping into their vacation. So that's, that's what I was at.
1: Yeah, no, New York was a great trip. It was really fun to be out there for a week because it opened up the opportunity for the family to come out. And what was really interesting, this was one of the most interesting trips I have ever been on as a player or as a broadcaster because okay. it was actually a family trip for the team. Now I am associated with the team, but my family could not fly in the plane. So we get to New York and for the first time in my career, I'm not, we, the, there were seven media members, myself, TK, Julia, our technician, Tim, and then Sparky, Robert Ford and, uh, Matt Bolts, the engineer, radio engineer. We all had to stay at a separate hotel. I've never done that before, so we basically had to do the walk of shame with our luggage getting over to the to the other hotel at about one one thirty in the morning. Uh, you know, usually when you check in, there's a table of snacks, waters. Uh, your keys are in an envelope. They, you know, everybody's greeting you with a smile. We walked over to our hotel and we had to check in, and there were, you know, seven of us come barreling in at 1.30 in the morning. Uh, we're we're maybe you know one sheet to the wind. You know, we've had a couple of drinks on the yeah. three-and-a-half-hour flight getting up yeah. to New York. Not and, two uh, sheets,
2: but one sheet. I, I yeah, I mean, you.
1: we got, we got one solid sheet under our belts, you know, because we knew, you know, getting into New York, there was going to be some logistical issues. So we we go to check in, and our rooms aren't ready, <laughs> right. oddly enough. And uh, so the disappointment continues to mount. And as we're checking in, they're trying to find us rooms. I have my podcast equipment in my little plastic case, this, this, this tough case that, you know, is waterproof, shockproof this whole thing to protect my, my podcast equipment. And as we're checking in, obviously Julia is the only female in our party. So I'm sitting there waiting for her, making sure she's all right. You know, that, you know, the homeless guy and the gentlemanly thing to do. Well, I was trying to be chivalrous. I mean, you know, she's like the little sister I never had. So I kind of look out for everything that's going on, especially in, in, in certain cities. But, you know, you make sure the homeless guy who's, who's showering off and, and, you know, getting ready for the next day in the, in the bathroom right behind us isn't coming out, you know, saying ludicrous things or assaulting anybody. So as I do that, I take my case and I set it on the counter and kind of relax waiting for Julia to get her room. She eventually gets the keys to her room. Everybody's set up. We're check on everybody. Okay, you're good. You're good. You got your room. You got your room. Okay. We go to the hotel or we go to the elevators, go up to our room. I unpack, get settled in because I'm going to be there for two or three days before I move out of the hotel and meet my family and stay in an apartment. And in the process of packing up after those two or three days, I'm looking around the room going, dude, where where did I put my case? I'm looking under beds. I'm looking in drawers. Apparently I left it, I thought back, you know, retrace your steps. I look, think back, and I'm I left it on the counter when I was waiting for everybody to get their keys and waiting for Julia. So I call the security and I'm like, hey, you guys have lost and found? They're like, Yeah, we do. And I said, okay, this at this date, at this time, I checked in and I left this black box of podcast equipment. It has a it has a GB27 sticker and a bleacher blum sticker on it. And I'm like, this is what we got. This is where it was. This is when I left it. Do you have it, dude? <laughs> so I asked him and he goes, please hold. We don't have it. I mean, that was how long it took him to figure out that he didn't have it. So I don't know what was going on. So if there's a really good podcast that comes out in like the next maybe two, three weeks and they sound amazing, that's where the equipment came from. So kudos to them. I applaud them. You know, I had my, uh, microphone in there. I had my little microphone travel stand. I had my little micro, my my little, uh, led light that would light me up. But, uh, that's why I have a new mic. So that's how everything started. But once the family got there that you're talking about Tuttle, guess what they didn't do. They didn't go to one game. Yeah. Uh, not that I them to want them to go to Yankee Stadium and cheer for the Astros because we know what that could turn into but they they went to the friends experience they went to sex in the city building they went to the Met they went to Central Park they checked out John Lennon's apartment building I mean it was I was the sideshow I was just the facilitator in that process and so I'm sure you know how that goes sometimes where you get to a location and you're just you're the enabler that's all you are but they had a great time and it was a lot of fun
2: that's awesome i mean not the stealing of the podcast equipment and like you said we'll have to keep our eyes out for that i did text you on the slide when you guys were checking in and you know this is the great thing about getting together with you that i i really enjoy is one word one sentence just brings me back but riding the bus in the minor leagues and you show up to a hotel right and they know you're coming and but yeah, we sneak up on him and you wrote oh, something. My Instagram, like, you, you wrote, commented on that. That's right. Yeah. You wrote snuck up on him and I was like, oh my <laughs> God, all these emotions came flooding back, which is, that's an old baseball term. It's like, look, there's eight people. They're checking in at 1.30. It's a chartered flight. We know exactly when they land. You know, the Astros made the, uh, you know, the PR department made the, uh, the reservations, like you said. So maybe you don't have the table, maybe you don't have the meet and greet because you're not there with the players and that's a little special thing. But the fact that you snuck up on them and they didn't have (laughs) rooms ready or anybody know that you were coming is like, that just brings back a rush of memories. And I had to comment and, uh, you know, I'm laughing not at you, I'm laughing with you in that I recall those situations. And, you know, here's the thing. And maybe Julia can attest to this, but because you're such a chivalrous chivalrous man and you have five women in your house, maybe she could, you know, she could split the difference. Like you wouldn't have put the case down had you not walked her up to No, I'm kidding. Oh uh, no. Anyway.
1: It's all good. Yeah, I mean those good. things happened and it's it is a part of the gig but uh yeah, it definitely made yeah. for for the adventure that it would eventually was, you know, being in New York watching the Astros play. You know, it it was unbelievable to be there and this was the first time. You know what else is crazy about this? Is this is the first? This is the first time that I've been in New York. I think in two and a half years, you know, oh, COVID, wait. no travel in twenty twenty, uh, you know, twenty twenty one, and then eventually getting on the road. So there was part of me that was looking forward to this entire trip, but to get out there and realize that you're going to spend seven days in New York is a little bit of daunting task, dude. <laughs> I don't know how people live in that city, man. I mean, granted, I've got, you know, 15 people in my traveling party and my family. So every time I go to dinner, the bill was never under 300 bucks. But I'm sitting there going, How, how does, how does just the normal, you know, John Q public go into a bar and pay 20 bucks for a drink every night, man, dude, I would be locked up in my, you know, 300, I I wonder how much this little podcast room I've got would cost in New York, but I would be stuck in a room like this, trying to fight my way through living in New York, dude, it's outrageous how expensive that place is.
2: Yeah, you know, it's 13 square miles, I believe, Manhattan for specifically, obviously, some of the boroughs are maybe less expensive and people live on top of each other. But my brother lived on 14th Street, right above Greenwich Village for, wow. gosh, that must have, when I was playing, that must have been like 20 years. He lived in a studio apartment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was probably no bigger than the room you're sitting in. It certainly wasn't much bigger than this. It was, you know, the studio. There was a mm-hmm. kitchen, a bed and like a window. <laughs> And uh, I, I remember, I think he was under a thousand bucks, but we're talking like 25 years ago. I mean, it was like, it was like $900 a month. for like, <laughs> If you sneezed, your neighbors would be like, bless you, like through the wall. And you're like, I got to pay a thousand bucks a month for this. Like anyway, it, but yeah, I agree with you. Like everything is, you know, you go to this cute little quaint Italian restaurant down the street and they're like, all right, it's $122. You mean just for me? Yep, 122 bucks. Thanks for coming. So that's oh, crazy. Yeah.
1: Hey, so we've kind of blown Just take it on the chin.
2: That's right. The what's on tap, but lead off lyrics. Why don't we get to lead off lyrics and then head into oh, maybe yeah. what's what's hot or who's hot? Because I think it'll relate to what we were talking about before. You got a lead-off lyric for us, or do you want me to go? I do. No,
1: I'm actually I'm actually right. prepared, and I appreciate <laughs> the fact that people continue to go to at Bleacher Blums and guess who the artist is, guess who the song is. So you know, we like I said, Tuttle and I are probably having more fun than everybody else, but we are you know I'm enjoying it, and there are people who are getting at us and guessing who this is. So for mine, I had stained, and it was for you. I think that you know the beginning of those lyrics were, were pretty easy, pretty good, but it just you know that was a song that kind of hit me as we're getting ready to do this podcast, but I'm going to dig in a little bit into you know the depths <clears throat> maybe of my iTunes list. And uh, if you're ready, I'm ready. And here we go. Sprawling on the fringes of the city in geometric order, an insulated border in between the bright lights and the far unlit unknown. Growing up, it all seems so one-sided, opinions all provided, the future predecided, detached, and subdivided in the mass production zone. If you know who that is, make sure you go to App Bleacher Blums. Let me know who the artist is, what the song is, and make sure you listen to the entire album. No, I'm just kidding. I made that
2: part up. Tuttle, you're up. <laughs> nice. Mine. Uh, <laughs> so my response, I think, was Sherry again. Sherry's always getting at us, but I'm, I'm trying to encourage people. Let's try not to... Uh, let's try and... <laughs> Let's try and use the encyclopedia of our brain to see if we can come up with some of these. Mine was uh Led Zeppelin cashmere, which that's not, that's not too difficult to pull out of the ether, especially if you're a, you know, a music lover. So, you know, I'm not saying people are cheating. I'm just saying when the response comes right after the podcast, like in, in succession, it's, I'm a little suspicious. So hopefully you folks are, uh, are whatever, exploring the depths of your mind and your music knowledge here and I'm going go- I'm going to test you again. Here we go. All right. Mm. I didn't know there was a tower where they look out to the land to see the people quickly passing by. This is for their own desire as they spit down to the earth to feel the power boiling in their veins.
1: Ooh. 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 Good finish.
2: It's not Edgar Allan Poe, I promise you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I say we got our lyrics were rhyming.
2: Some we're of the stuff, yeah, this. and some of it sounds dark, like when you get there.
1: I know, and especially the way we're reading it, we just lead off lyrics. I wanted to make sure that y'all mentioned Texan Fuzz four one four for getting Blummer's lead off lyric last time.
2: Oh yeah, thank goodness for Mark. Oh, I thought he said who it was. It was Texan Fuzz, but was it Sherry that got mine? Yes. Good job, Sherry. Just make sure you're exploring the recesses of your musical knowledge. How about who's hot? I think it leads into what we're talking about. You started to talk about the Yankees and the Astros, and I actually, for once, wanted to talk about them. So um, my who's hot is, all right, the Padres are in there. But I will say um, the Yankees, so a couple stats that came out of that series, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. You and TK and Julia get to see them every night. We were a little, I don't know if trepidatious is the word, but uh, we were kind of like, yeah, the Astros, their starting pitching's good, but they're playing a team that's won 50 games already, first to 50, and they look really good. Well, I read a stat that said the Yankees, out of their 50 wins, now they're at whatever, 53, 54, 55, something like that. 42 of them are come from behind, meaning they don't get out to the lead. They're kind of doing what they did to the Astros, even though the Astros, I felt like, got the better of that series. So... They're not jumping out to the lead. They do have a strong bullpen, but watching that series, I really thought the Astros were the better team. I mean, if you're a scout watching that series, like through the lineup and how it goes. And I mean, John Carlos Stanton can, I mean, he, he hits the weirdest ball, like the way he's so close and (laughs) the ball just goes out. Of course, I, I was watching my daughter play soccer the other day. We'll get back to what I was talking about. And I was watching these Little Leaguers play. And when I played Little League, I think it was like 2.05 down the line, 2.10 in center and 2.05, this is Little League. When you go to like Fenway Park and you see that it's 3.06 and you see that like Yankee Stadium or the Crawford boxes are like 3.10 or 3.15, it's like, you know, you're not a surprise. Like John Carlos Stanton can hit a ball off the plate, off the end of the bat, and it gets over the right field wall. You're just going to have to live with that. And so when you go line up to line up, Um, obviously like Gallo and Stanton and judge, these guys have more holes in their swing. It's, you know, kind of the all or nothing, the one true outcome. I just, I was more impressed with the Astros coming away from that series, even though they, um, even though it kind of became a split, I guess, per se, Mm -hmm. um, you know, two games to two. So, um, and then watching the Mets who were supposed to be the better team in the national league. I mean, the Astros, at least during that series, were the far better team. Again, we don't want to make lifelong and season-long assessments over these small series, but I think the Astros approached the series in New York with uh some energy and some intent and I think it showed and I definitely think they were the better team there obviously the record shows that but you know maybe you could get under the hood and tell me what you saw
1: no I saw a team that was better I know that uh, there was a lot of concern going in that what was this going to be like and nobody wants to pump it up as a postseason you know matchups in the middle of the season because you're gonna you know at the end of the season things are heightened a little bit but I really feel like the Astros went into Yankee Stadium and a lot of their quotes and a lot of their comments were we're gonna Treat this as a as a playoff type scenario, but I've always been impressed with the way this ball club over the last five six years has been able to kind of step it up or you know flip that switch, and they really went into Yankee Stadium with a little more swagger, a little more attitude than I anticipated. And Jordan Alvarez was obviously on a tear; should end up being Player of the Month the way he was swinging the bat. Uh, Jose Altuve's been tearing the cover off the baseball. It seems like the more they boo him in that stadium the better he does because he's got outrageous numbers against them in the, you know, in the last 25 games he's played against them and it doesn't seem to phase him, which I'm thoroughly impressed with. His skin is a lot thicker than mine is because I'd probably, you know, melt down and start flipping everybody off. But, uh, he did a great job at the pitching staff, man. The starters went out there and absolutely shoved. I think over those nine games, they had, we put a stat up. The starters alone for the Astros had a 1.11 ERA against the Mets offense and the Yankees offense. And for those games in Yankee Stadium, like you're talking about, you know, uh, Who's the manager for the Texas Rangers? Chris Woodward said that it, you know, it's basically Williamsport out there. The way the size of that place is, and how the right-handed hitters are able to go the other way and just kind of hit some pop-ups out to right field. But they dominated every aspect of the of those games with the offense, with the pitching. Their defense was better, and then you had them. Uh, you know, the bullpen was really the only one that faltered, and a lot of the reason was because I think they were just a little too careful. Uh, there were you know, eight, maybe 12 walks in those four games, I think, out of the bullpen and those walks all come back to haunt you a little bit. But as far as who's hot, man, the Astros are one of the hottest teams in baseball. I would imagine that they vault, you know, to the top of the power rankings when all these numbers come out at the end of the week. But uh, it was a lot of fun to go out there. It was a lot of fun to watch them beat up on the Yankees. And I know that fans loved it. I know that the team loved it, but they ran that gauntlet going seven and two with the potential, possibly if things kind of go their way a little bit, and uh, they don't have to face Aaron Judge in the bottom of the ninth inning. They may end up winning nine out of nine. But I think they made a statement. And as far as teams, and if I could go on the who's not and and kind of point out that the Yankees might be that not team, their starting rotation is beatable. And that's where the Astros beat the Yankees was against their starting rotation because the bullpen is very good for the Yankees. But oh. that offense can be pitched to the pitching, ro- the starting staff can be beat and that's what was really interesting to me. The only thing that I kind of piqued my curiosity about the New York Mets, even though they lost all four games against the Astros, is, is that how different is the Mets team when you get deGrom and Scherzer back if you get them back? That's where I think the difference could be made for the New York Mets, where they're starting staff with the addition of Taiwan Walker. Then you go DeGrom, Scherzer, Taiwan Walker, then you've got some real issues because Edwin Diaz is a he's pretty badass at the end of the bullpen, too.
2: Yeah. and Chris Bassett. I mean, if Chris Bassett's oh, your yeah. number three and not your number one, right? So and, yeah, and you, but you made the best point, which is uh, we talk about pitching and defense all the time, right? Garrett Cole's their number one there. That's what exactly what I saw, and that's why the Mets would be more of a threat, and that's why you don't want to take these little microcosm, these little series out of the um, out of the season and say, oh, this is how it'll be. But man, the Mets would be more formidable with Degrom, Scherzer, Bassett. Um, and Tywin Walker and Tywin Walker may not, you know, he may be like your long guy or he, you know, depending on a short playoff series, but the no, Yankees right. do not. Yeah, the Yankees don't have that. And that's why they're not getting out to leads. That's why they're not holding leads. When you uh, it was funny, I tried to watch some of the broadcast because I knew you were traveling um, and I try to listen to you guys anyway. You know, it's funny in our house. Just a little side note, like. <laughs> i liked it i like to have the tv on you know on the weekends especially mm-hmm. i'll turn on the game and i you know i use Untk and tk as an excuse she's like oh is that blum i'm like yep that's blum i'm like, okay tv stays on i can hear you guys but but neither here nor there the uh the just the I don't know, just the 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 energy and the series, like you could just see how it was going. But there was no like every time you brought the Yankees bullpen in and you read off the stats, which you usually do. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like real. I never even heard of this guy, this baby face guy. They're all baby face, right? Because the Yankees can't have any like facial hair. But they're like <laughs> he has a point. He has a point seven three. He hasn't given up a run since April 9th. and you're like, oh my gosh, he hasn't given Clay up a Holmes, run yeah. since April 9th? And then he pitches, and you're like, damn, like he just. 96, and he's got a tight slider, and you're like, all right. I mean, the bullpens maybe to your point, I guess to get all the way back, are equivalent, but the Yankees will not be as tough in a short series or a playoff series if they don't strengthen their rotation, which, of course, with the trade deadline coming up, they could. Uh, The Mets would be more formidable, and that's exactly why the Astros are a force to be reckoned with. And then when you want to say who's hot on the West Coast, and this is more of a question, the Padres and the Dodgers are going at it. Um, I mean, uh, who's it? Joe, the no hitter guy, right? Joe M what's his name? He's uh, Musgrove. Musgrove is nine like and a one. Yeah. Yeah. I think he lost last night, but he's nine and one with like a one nine or a two ERA. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like they have some starting pitching and they got to get those guys healthy. As we know, the Padres have, you know, Snell and they got a bunch of other guys, but they just have to stay healthy if they can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be formidable. But somebody this week said, we're, we're dealing with the same thing we dealt with last year, which is I kept saying the Dodgers. Remember, the Dodgers were going to chase down the uh, the the Giants. And I think over a 20 game span, the Giants went 17 and three and the Dodgers went 18 and two and they got they made up one game. And you're like, that's what's happened to the Yankees. The Red Sox, the Yankees went eighteen and two. The Red Sox, or let's see, I'm sorry, the Yankees went eighteen and five. The Red Sox went seventeen and five, and they didn't make up I any know. games. And the Blue Jays were on fire, and they're six games back. The Orioles are above five hundred, or they're at five hundred. And somebody said this, and so this is the question: They were saying the American League East by far the best team, you know, the best division in baseball. And I'm still arguing the National League West, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. I mean, it's. It's. I guess it's. There's a lot of parity there, meaning those teams are fighting it out. But I don't know if they're like if you, you would take the Dodgers, Giants, Padres over Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays. I don't know, right? So now you have. Yeah. Two really good divisions that I wanted to hear your thoughts on that.
1: No, I think it's a really interesting question. I, You know, I wish we had more time to kind of dig into the numbers and really try and figure that thing out. But I think as it stands, if we were actually going to go to the playoffs right now, you'd have three teams from the National League West and there's the potential to have four teams if Tampa Bay can sustain what they're doing, which I'm not sure they're going to be able to. But if it ended, you know, in the last week or so, you're going to have four teams out of the the, uh, American League East. And I don't know if that's because it is such a great division or or they... Created so much parity, or is it because the American League Central is so bad and the American League West is so bad? You know that there's nobody else that's going to be able to compete because, like you just said, with everybody in the East with a fi- almost a 500 or better record, you go to the West where the Astros are. They're the only team above 500. They have the the Rangers, Angels, and Mariners kind of flirting with 500, but none of them get above it. And then you get the Oakland A's, who are basically turned into uh, I don't know where their AAA team is in Vegas or something, but you know they they. They are all of a sudden just a miserable team getting their brains beat in every single day. So, I mean, I, you can argue to the fact that maybe those two divisions are the best two divisions, but then you go to the Central in the American League and you get Minnesota or Cleveland. Nah, not really a threat. And then you have the Astros in the West who are obviously a bonafide threat after beating up on two of those Eastern teams. Uh, you know, in the Central, you've got what? Milwaukee, St. Louis, and then in the West you have the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants. In the East you have the Mets currently, and the Braves kind of trying to sneak up. But man, it, you know the way it shapes up, you could have seven teams on each, you know, bi-coastal who are going to make up those twelve teams that make it to the playoffs. I think that's pretty incredible.
2: That's incredible. Hey, why don't we let the listeners ponder that while we take a break to hear from our Blue Wire podcast sponsors, and we'll be right back. I want to ask you a couple questions, Blummer.
0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babel subscription at com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
2: Welcome back. Hopefully the sponsors were ear candy for you. Um, remember, you're listening to the Bleacher Blums podcast. You can get to BleacherBlums.com. Maybe get some of the swag that you uh, so desire, any swag that you so desire. You can see Bleacher Blum's short hops on YouTube. You can get at Blummer uh, on Instagram at Blummer27, uh, Instagram and Twitter. Myself at Real David Tuttle on Instagram and Twitter. We are back, and Blummer, I wanted to ask you about the Freddie Freeman situation. It's gotten a lot of publicity here. Dear God, Even, wh- yeah. Even with my work colleagues, which is really funny, my work colleagues are like, he's crying at a press conference. Tell him to get over it. He makes a lot of money. <laughs> like they were just like getting all fired up. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, he's emotionally sensitive. And then two days after his press conference, he fired his representation. And, you know, you've had an agent for a long time, as you still do. I'm just curious to know, with, I mean, your agent is supposed to be a uh, an extension of you, right? They sometimes tell you things that you may not want to hear, but they kind of are preparing you for the offers, the potential, the deals, and then the outcomes. Like, hey, look, if we turn this down, this is what's going to happen. If we accept this, then this may happen. Um, but I think Freddie Freeman, which is unusual for ballplayers, and I know he's a Southern California kid, um, got a little caught up in the emotion and then use that to kind of like reevaluate some of the things that had already happened and said, Hey, you know, these guys did not represent my best interests and I'm going to get rid of them. And getting rid of them is more of a, um, it's a kind of a symbolic gesture, right? Because the agent negotiated the contract, they're going to get paid on it. <laughs> so it's not like firing them and stealing their money, but it, there is some, there is some, I guess, some, I don't know credibility to obviously firing them, and probably it hurts them a little bit. But what what do you know about the situation, and then what what do you what can you draw from your own experiences to enlighten us on?
1: Uh, so the Freddie Freeman situation was very interesting, and to Tuttle's point, just kind of you know back him up is that Freddie Freeman and the Dodgers, who he signed his free agent contract with, a six year, very lucrative deal, over one hundred and fifty million. You know, he signs with the Dodgers. Now the Dodgers in the National League are going through Atlanta. So this will be his first trip back to Atlanta as a Dodger. So there was a lot of emotion there. And, you know, there is emotion for a team that drafts you, develops you, and then you make it to the big leagues and spend as much time as he did in Atlanta, you know, six, seven years, 11 years, whatever it was, I can't remember. But you spend a, an exorbitant amount of time in one place. You become a part of that city. You become a part of that organization. And obviously, as good as he was, he was the face of that franchise. He was a real leader in the clubhouse. He was a leader on the field, charismatic, you know, smart, mature, did everything right, led them to a World Series championship last season. And he goes through Atlanta and the emotions start to stir up a little bit. And I know it caught everybody a little bit off guard, but I think there were things going on behind the scenes. And so, and soon we find out that his, his agent, Casey Close, rumored to have gotten an offer from Atlanta, but did not tell Freddie Freeman about it. And I think that's where the shock kind of sets in and you're going, how in the hell does a guy this good with the ability to make that much money in a city that he loves dearly, why wouldn't he tell him about that deal? How drastically awful could it have been that he would not tell him? And how much did Casey Close want to manipulate the market to get him to L.A.? I mean, there's so many layers to this that are just fascinating to me. And, you know, what's the motivation for the agent not to tell the player about this contract. I don't get it. I don't understand it. We may never understand it, but the fact is he lied to his client, withheld information, Freddie Freeman fired Casey Close and his agency. And I don't know if there's a clause in that contract between the player and the agent that says, you know, there, there's always a, uh, you know, there's always a standard a claw in a contract clause that says you have to uphold you know the the honesty of the of the the agreement and things like that. I don't know if there's a statute in there that says you can fire an agent and take the money if they get, if they are not honest with you. So there may be a way to sue them and get some of that money back, but I, that's a whole nother again animal. But the fact that you. Didn't disclose that to a player. It blows my mind. And you worked with an agency for a little bit, Tuttle. You know that when you're negotiating a contract that the union, the players union will get involved and say, hey, let's take the higher contract because we're trying to push the market value of of your player up and it helps everybody else behind him. So that's sometimes the idea of why a guy would leave Atlanta to go to LA because the deal's better, the market's better, and it pushes the market for first baseman's up a little bit so that guys three or four you know notches below him get paid a little bit better also. So that's sometimes the idea when the union gets in, but that, you know as far as it sounds, it doesn't sound like the union was getting involved, You know, this led to a domino effect that forced the Braves to go out and trade for Matt Olson. Maybe Matt Olson obviously doesn't get traded to the Braves if Freddie Freeman doesn't leave. But man, you talk about a roller coaster of emotion that he must have gone through and then eventually getting to the point where you, you fire your agent is crazy. I've never had that situation. And I've actually been in a position where I've gotten multiple offers and I've taken the lesser deal. Uh, you know, it, to, to much the chagrin of the, the union yelled at me, my agent said, Hey man, it's up to you. i luckily I didn't make enough to really have an impact on his income, but, uh, you know, it impacted me, and I made the choice for me. And uh, you know, Freddie Freeman wasn't given that opportunity. That's what's tragic about this whole situation.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you have more information than I do. I, I didn't realize that it was public knowledge that he didn't disclose. But I think you make the best point of all, which is it, the agent will get paid when you get paid, but they're representing you. They should bring all deals to the table. And to your point, if Casey Close was transparent with uh, Freddie, and if Freddie was transparent, and they were having this open discussion. And you know he has now come out and said he would have taken twenty five or thirty million dollars less over the life of the contract or something like that. Then that's when the union gets involved. To your point, point. and so now it's you, your agent, and the union having this discussion, saying, "Look, I know you were, you know, one of the team leaders in Atlanta, and you know, I mean, Tony Gwynn took less to stay in San Diego, and there are mm-hmm. few teams and few people and few places where they will de- definitely make exceptions. And if you make a valid, if your agent's doing his job, and you make a valid argument." to the union to say this is why we're going to stay and we think over the long haul and you know maybe he takes a shorter deal with less money but if he does well in atlanta then he gets another deal right and then he can push the envelope so there are a couple different ways to skin that cat but to your point if you found out you're you know i mean this is like people always ask you what's the key to a good relationship right whether you've been married a long time or your brother for me it's always communication. Like sometimes that communication goes awry and sometimes there may be some hostile words in there, but you're now talking about the issue. It's on the table. To withhold information is pretty egregious, I would say, wouldn't you?
1: Oh, absolutely. I yeah. I don't, yeah. what what when I hired, you know, I have an agent now. I had an agent when I yeah. played. You you had an agent. You worked for an agency that is my, that, that entity is working for me for the best interest of me. You know, they're going to fight my fights. They're going to negotiate the contracts. They're going to take the heat from the GM and, you know, help me get more playing time. Or if I'm upset, they're going to, you know, massage a trade and make something happen They're when they sign, maybe that's the clause that, you know, Freddie Freeman can bring up is, When we signed this contract, you were acting in the best interest of Freddie Freeman. And I lucked out because I have a guy in Joel Wolf who actually... You know, you sign it for Jeff Blum, but at the same time, you know, you you grow over time, you get married, you have kids. Then it becomes what's best for Jeff Blum's family, you know, what's best for Freddie Freeman's family? And that's the idea that I think got lost on Casey Close. I don't know how or why, but that's that's where it gets lost. And you know, if you're gonna be a future agent or you're working for an agency and you listen to this podcast you've got to do what's in the best interest of that player. Listen to that player. Listen to what he says because more often than not, he's speaking and representing his entire family because we talk about it all the time on this podcast. This earning window and this opportunity to play the game is so small in the bigger scheme of life that you want to maximize it and you want to have the best possible time and have the best possible outcome you can because, you know, the reason I have the job I do here in Houston is because I played here for five years. I was able to establish myself inside a community that welcomed me and appreciated what I could do. And I appreciated them. And that's where I think Freddie Freeman was like, dude, I just spent 11 years with this organization and with this team. I had roots. I had establishments. I had my brand. And now I'm being forced out of there you know, without the notice, without the knowledge of being able to stay there and really nurture that. You know, that's where I think things get a little bit tough, and that's where you have to think as a player. But, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, he was pulled out of that environment.
2: Yeah. I mean, anyway, I, I obviously he took the action that he felt was necessary, but it's an unusual circumstance. And, um, and who you know, knows? Maybe I think, he does take the Dodger offer. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, again, that would be his choice. I think, yes. he, you know, this is what we were saying before, where if it's you and your agent and the, and the Players Association having a discussion – about what the best thing is for the market, for you personally, and then to your point, to your family, to Jeff Blum's family, to Freddie Freeman's family in this case, then that's a that's a valid discussion. Don't withhold half the information and then say, okay, these are my choices. Okay, but then this one looks like the best option. You know, it's curtain number one, curtain number two, without letting you know that there's a curtain number three doesn't seem fair. So let's transition to something else. We have like, I have like nine topics, but I don't think we'll get to all let's of them. Let's roll. Yeah, let's roll, buddy. Um, you and I both know Phil Nevin fairly well, and, uh, you know, the the brawl is old news. But w- I wanted to kind of bring a new take to it, which is, um, first of all, I heard John Boy on a, on a sports talk radio last week. That guy was a film editor at some company, and now he's made this <laughs> own, he said he used to do, when he first started doing his little, like, lip reading and his film editing, he worked for a company like uh, that did, like, wedding planning and stuff this guy, man, he's so annoying. And I know Astros fans dislike him as well, but like what, he made this job out of frigging nothing.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, they do not like this guy.
2: (laughs) He's an idiot. Anyway, I heard him talk and now they're like, well, so what do you think? Who's the team that's going to go to the world series in the West? And he's like, I really like the Padres. And I'm like, John boy is a film editor that, you know, created this own thing. And they're asking him his opinion on flipping, like who's going to win the national league. Like Go fly a kite, dude. Anyway, that's a little (laughs) rant. But when we talk about fighting and, you know, you and I know how fiery Phil Nevin is and the the lip reading didn't help him. But I think that's why why guys all do this now, right? This is why guys all do the cover of the mouth thing. That's my favorite. They're like, oh yeah, he's got his glove over his mouth. You're like, yeah, now you don't want to be lip read anywhere. But my point is there's fighting in hockey, right? Like people, people like we never make the equivalency. All you ever hear is like, this is idiotic. He's throwing a 90 mile an hour fastball under the guy's chin. And I'm like, that's part of the game. There's an intimidation factor. What about <laughs> these idiots that skate around with a guy and they had a beer with them last night and they throw their gloves down and they just start swinging and they go to the <laughs> penalty box. It's like, there are a lot of inane, like testosterone driven, you know, kind of outlets for men and in sports that's part of it. But I, I just, you know, maybe you could enlighten me like baseball has a lot of, kind of maybe silly is the old rule but or silly is the old word but mm-hmm. you know they have these unwritten baseball rules that on it seems like sports talking heads are allowed to just bash baseball cuz they have these unwritten rules and we never understand these unwritten rules in baseball is but in hockey you can just throw down and then shake somebody's <laughs> hand and go have a beer with them but we don't talk about that as like how do we get fighting out of hockey like it's just part of the game so I know that's not. There's not a question wrapped in there, but I wanted to hear your thoughts. I mean, obviously Phil was upset. Um, I think you know, as a first-time manager, things look good. He's like, "I'm going to start this guy." <laughs> You're like, "Wait a second! <laughs> He's starting his number 13 guy out of the bullpen when the other guy was supposed to start." So there are a lot of things leading up to. But but it's sometimes you want to let the other team know. I mean, now the media gets involved, but you want to let the other team know, like, "Hey, you guys are frigging knocking our guys down." We're going to start this guy who throws 95, and he's going to throw at your guys till he hits someone and deal with it. So, yes, it got out of hand. There's some funny stories that came from it, but I know you're laughing. So, so you know, please share your insight.
1: I actually think that you bring up a very good point that nobody ever talks about because all you hear in baseball, you hear pundits, you hear fans, you hear – Everybody who has an opinion on baseball, ah, the unwritten rules are stupid. But then, like you said, in hockey, it's okay for me to go out there and have a goon that's going to go deck somebody and send a message. Why is that okay? And I and I'm with you because I watch hockey and I'm going, oh yeah, I saw that coming. I get it now. You know, you you, you I'm not saying you anticipate it, but you're not shocked by it when it happens. You're like, well, the guy went a little hard into the goalie. You can't hit the goalie. You know, it's like in football. You go low on a on a quarterback. The offensive lineman's going to pick you up and throw you across the field and get the get the flag for unnecessary roughness. We get it. That's part of the game. Why is it not part of the game to protect your players in baseball? And all the unwritten rules are stupid because he's got a weapon in his hand and he's throwing at ninety five miles an hour. You're damn right. And that's how you correct, and that's how you bring order back to the game is by disrupting it a little bit and stopping the insanity of you throwing at my guys. You know how I, if we're in the schoolyard and Tuttle's punching me in the gut constantly every single day, and I'm getting annoyed. I'm starting to hurt now. Guess how I get him to stop? I punch him back. And I think that's what's happening on the field is that all of a sudden you're going, okay, you're throwing at Otani, you're throwing at Mike Trout, I don't appreciate that because they're, they're two, our two best players. So guess what? Here you go, Julio Rodriguez, up and coming rookie of the year potential candidate. Here you go. Hitting Jesse Winker didn't mean anything to me. That guy's having a terrible year. But you picked on a pretty fiery guy and you hit Jesse Winker and all hell broke loose. But I think that was, you know, you can avoid the fights if you actually stop the buildup of emotion in baseball. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is if it's taken, if it's taken. Uh, if it's handled the appropriate way at the appropriate time, guess what? It stops. It doesn't get to the boiling point where everybody snaps and we charge the field and we have this brawl. So in hockey, it's okay. In baseball, it's not. But I think that's how you kind of correct the issue and get back to some kind of normalcy is being able to, to just have those quick moments. Yes, I know they're violent. Yes, I know that it's probably not the best thing for television or to promote your sport. But at the same time, you can't allow the officials to get in there. In baseball, the umpires have a tendency to come in and warn pitchers at the at the wrong times. And never forget that athletes, and more more often than not, baseball players have long memories. And if you don't let them take care of it at that appropriate time, it's going to linger and it'll show up in a series later on. So I just think I, you know I I love the fact that you pulled out. The analysis, you know, the comparison between hockey and baseball, because yes, in hockey, it's okay. It needed to be done. You'll hear them say, but on the baseball side, they're going, oh, it's so unnecessary. The unwritten rules are stupid. So I think that was a great comparison. But yeah, when you see those fights, it still is pretty nasty to watch them go after it. That was pretty, pretty gnarly.
2: It is. And I think you brought up probably even a better point, which is that when you let things, we know this like in anything, but when you let things fester, you know, that's the worst part. And so I think if he had just hit uh, Rodriguez initially, you know, he missed him and that was kind of like, all right, you know, I don't know if it had, it would have been done. And then you hit somebody that's having a a bad year. That's a little (laughs) more fiery. And it's like, no, I'm serious. Like, I, I would get in trouble with this. Like when I got, when they were like, hey, you got to get in there and hit somebody. If you didn't hit them on the first or second try and you missed them and then you got to hit somebody else, like now, as a, now you've turned this retaliation or this, like, let's close the deal up to your point into, wait a second. Like, this guy's an idiot and he's going to be out there throwing at every guy until he hits one. So, you know, I I do defend, is it Winker? Yeah. What's his name?
1: Jesse Winker. Yeah. I
2: defend. I defend Winker to the extent that he's like, wait a second, you (laughs) threw at that guy last inning, you missed him, now you hit me, like how long is this going to go on? So, you know, nobody's in the right, but to your point, I think you let these things fester, the teams have a lot of frustration, Um, you know, as a baseball player, I could see how it happens, but I do feel like, and I think you already uh, reiterated that, you know, we... We get these narratives in sports and we get these like mm-hmm. things that are allowed you're allowed to say, like, oh, we're allowed to go after somebody who's not accepting of this person. You know, I feel like it's we're allowed to go after baseball and it's unwritten rules and how archaic and you know, asinine they are. But when we bring up a sport like hockey, which, you know, you and I both have said, we love playoff hockey and I love the handshakes at the end of the series. But how many times they send the goon out there to, you know, send a guy to the hospital and nobody's like, oh, yeah, that's just part of hockey instead of saying, like, that's just part of baseball. So anyway, I think we belabored that point, but I think it was worth talking about. So. Do you have like a blast or anything you want to end on? Um, maybe about, let's put out a want ad for your uh, podcast equipment. Anybody that <laughs> stayed at the hotel down on, you found a black case, no questions <laughs> asked. Yes, if you please. just return it to the front, ad, like something like that, and then we can just tie it up.
1: Yeah, we're going to close it out because, again, (laughs) this bi-coastal podcast is always interesting, and if Tuttle and I were doing it, it would be extremely frustrating, but we have our boy, Mark Ramos, who does a lot of our swag. You can go to BleacherBlums.com, or you can go to Crush City Tees, and check out some of the swag and some of the Bleacher Blum stuff that we have out there. There's plenty of blummerisms but uh, our good buddy, Mark Ramos, who runs uh, Ram Shirts, does a phenomenal job. The quality's off the charts, and obviously, it can be custom if you need it. So make sure you check him out. And he also customizes our podcast, which can be a daunting task at times. So we appreciate everybody listening. The only thing I have for you is that now that we are in the month of July, we have finally crossed over. June is over. The month of July has started. So everybody celebrate because as we look back on July 1st, it is Bobby Bonilla Day. He is currently. Let me see real quick. I got to pull up my notes to make sure I get this right.
2: We're recording curr- this on Bobby Bonilla Day, which is we,
1: you know, which is crazy. So he is 59 years old. He is going to collect a check from the New York Mets for 1.193 million dollars, which he has been doing for quite a while. So happy Bobby Bonilla Day! Greatest contract ever signed. And just so everybody knows, the reason I brought up his age of 59 is that at the age of 72, he will collect his last check. I believe that's 2035. We may not be doing this podcast, but Bobby Bonilla will be collecting a check up until he's 72 years old. So chew on that for a while. Next time you go in and negotiate your contracts.
2: What's better, uh, 10 years in the big leagues for the pension or just signing a contract like Bobby Bonilla? Uh, I'll just take the Bobby Bonilla contract. Thank you so much. Yes, please. Hey, how about that? That's 12 more years. I hope we're doing the podcast for 12 more years. But Bobby Bonilla (laughs) Day, we will celebrate this for at least 12 more years. So that's pretty impressive. And uh, like you said, oh, man. No, let's run it out before uh, we have any more technical difficulties. Um, (laughs) We would like to give a shout out now that we're all kind of, I feel like, yeah, I went on vacation and you had your little trip to New York. We were a little, I don't know. We were a little disjointed, but you know we we thank the listeners for sticking with us. We really still enjoy getting together. We're trying to be consistent. We will be more consistent as the summer rolls on. We're gonna to get to the all-star game, the all-star break and then my plan is to go out to Houston here but um, at the end of the year when the uh, season's winding down and maybe the first playoff series starts when, uh, Blum, has a whoop, whoop, whoop. More, when Blum has a little more free time because he won't be calling yeah. uh Astros games, which you know that's that means I like could drink
1: topic. more beer with you
2: yeah, I'm in. All right. So uh, shout out to our first responders, the military, teachers who are enjoying two months off for the summer, healthcare workers. um, As we mentioned at the outset of this podcast, last podcast, just had COVID. So uh, we know it's a real thing. I know, (laughs) Blum, you had it run through your house too. So uh, we appreciate everybody that puts themselves in harm's way and allows us to have the freedoms to do what we want to do, especially record a podcast with our good buddy. So um, if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And I'll throw it to you, Bob.
1: Hey, get after it and believe it. You look great. You look marvelous.